and illness can become an all-consuming experience. Hi, and welcome to I Am Not My Pain podcast. I am your host, Melissa, a chronic pain sufferer for over 20 years, and I know firsthand how pain can easily take over your life and isolate you from others. But the truth is, we are so much more than our pain and illness, and we are not alone. There are millions of fellow warriors on their own journey. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. What do you do when the people who are supposed to be your biggest support, especially during difficult times, aren't? I know I had many family members and certain friends who couldn't wrap their head around my pain and why I couldn't just suck it up and move on with my life. However, I was very, very blessed to have my parents who were incredibly supportive of me every step of the way. I honestly do not know how I would have survived my darkest times without them. But the reality is not everyone is as lucky. Many of the chronically ill do not have support. Either they never had a great support system before getting sick or they lose it once they are sick. And what if at the same time you had no medical support either? How would you cope? My guest and warrior for today is Kale Sastre. Kale is an anthropologist and an avid adventurer who grew up being sick a lot with nausea, dizziness, fatigue, headaches, seizures, and back, neck, and knee pain. But her family wouldn't believe or take her pain seriously. She began to hide her symptoms from not only her family, but from everyone. By no choice of her own, she became very independent. However, she began to find solace in solitude and not depending on anyone. She even hiked across multiple countries by herself. As Kale got older, her pain increased and her conditions became more evident. She was later diagnosed with migraine, spine issues, fibromyalgia, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Her primary source of her pain is her fibromyalgia, which causes severe pain, exhaustion, and balance issues. Eventually, Kale had to quit her job and file for disability. She now fights for support from her medical team and especially from her insurance, who denied an essential migraine medication. As an outlet, Kale began writing and has published several articles and poetry about living with chronic illness on The Mighty, as well as fictional work, which is sold on Amazon. You can find her complete catalog of published work on her website, ksastre.wordpress.com. I will also include this in my episode description. Kale, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, hi. Hi. Well, could you maybe share a little bit more of your story and the symptoms you currently manage? I have fibromyalgia, which was diagnosed in 2014, but I didn't actually tell anyone about it until 2016 wow. when I quit my job. <laughs> I kept it a secret because I didn't feel like people would believe me or take me seriously. And I had a lot of ableism where I thought people wouldn't want to be my friend if they knew how sick I was and people wouldn't want to be around me anymore. And I just kind of was in denial, I guess, a little bit too. Sure. 
That makes sense. And I mean, sometimes from your childhood, if you weren't believed as a child with a condition you have, why would you think people as an adult would believe you? So that makes sense. It kind of correlates together. So, I mean, right now with the, I mean, I know migraines are just horrible as it is, but fibromyalgia, is it, what effects in your body does fibromyalgia do for you? What does fibromyalgia cause? Yeah. So fibromyalgia is like a nervous system disorder where your brain is feeling pain signals, even if there's nothing wrong. And so I have problems with balance. I have problems with digestion. I have problems with um, fatigue, just extreme fatigue and pain in my whole body. It's kind of like having the flu all the time. Ugh. In fact, people call it the fibro flu. It's like fibro a flu. thing. Probably very accurate from everyone I've talked to who has fibromyalgia. It sounds like a very accurate description. So yeah, I know as a child, it was, you know, you weren't as believed by your family on anything that you were going through. So what did you do as a child to cope with the pain you were experiencing since, you know, they really didn't believe it anyway? You know, what were your tendencies on how you managed the pain or how you spoke about it? If you spoke about it at all, what was that like? Well, I remember when I was really young, I didn't understand what was going on. And I would just say, I don't feel good. Like, I would yeah. just say that I don't feel good. And people would be like, well, suck it up. And sometimes I would feel so awful. I had to walk to school when I was young. And sometimes that was fine. Like I loved being able to independently get to school and back. But on the days when I wasn't feeling well, it was really torturous just walking that half mile to school and back. And I remember specifically trying to throw up because throwing up was the only symptom that seemed to be taken seriously. And I would feel so sick and I'd be like, please let me stay home from school. And they thought I was faking it to get out of school, which I wasn't. Right. And so I would try throwing up. Like I would try to like gag myself so that I would throw up. And I I never succeeded at that. That didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't make myself throw up. But I sometimes threw up anyway, like on the walk to school because I was in so much pain, I would just barf and then they would let me go home. Yeah. So and that has yeah. to be really, really hard. And so did you have a tendency as maybe you got older, like, you know, more like a teen, did you share with your family when you did have, when you were feeling bad, or did you just kind of never say a word anymore? Or did you kind of a little bit in between? I didn't really talk to them about it when I was a teenager. I wasn't home very often. I was at my friend's houses most of the time. Sometimes I would be so sick. I would go to my friend's house just to lay down in their bed and not be bothered because my house wasn't really a safe place for me. So I didn't stay very much at my house by the time I was a teenager. Yeah. My yeah. friends, they saw some of it, but I didn't really let on how bad it was. Right. You never did. And what do you think or how do you think growing up with no support affected you and your pain? How do you think it affected you? Well, it definitely made me internalize like this is not a serious thing. 
I shouldn't take it seriously. People shouldn't take me seriously. I definitely felt like I wasn't valued and my pain didn't matter. And maybe I was making it all up. But when I got older, I would get sick in front of my friends. Like they would see me have seizures or fall down or something. So I couldn't really hide it. But even then, some people thought I was faking. Like they were like, oh, you're just doing that for attention. But what kind of attention is that? That doesn't even get you good attention. Like just when how do you you fake a seizure? I don't, I mean, I guess people can, but I highly doubt you can fake a real seizure. I think you could tell the difference between a fake seizure and a real seizure. So I think that's interesting that, you know, they would think that you did that on purpose. Yeah. What kind of attention is it you don't want? And you didn't probably want the attention anyway. So no, I wanted to be well. Yes. You were like, I just want to feel fine and get on with that. I know what, I mean, during all that with having limited support, really, I mean, you really did have limited support. You know, what were your coping strategies if you had any at the time? And maybe what are your coping strategies? How did that grow over time? Yeah, so definitely a lot of denial, a lot of pushing through. I remember this was a temporary problem, but I tore all the ligaments in my ankle my freshman year of college. Mm. And just as an example of how I am as a person, I would walk on that boot way before I was supposed to. And I would like ignore the pain as much as I possibly could. and that's kind of a good metaphor for how I was with the fibromyalgia. I would just push myself and push myself and push myself until I just couldn't anymore. Yeah. So your body was like, that's it. You cannot push anymore. When did that happen? When was your body like, that's it. Like you, that's, you cannot do this anymore. You cannot keep pushing. I would say that was when I quit my job in 2016. Um, up until then, actually, probably more like 2015, because there was a whole year where I was I was teaching and I was missing classes and I was in the hospital and all this stuff was going on. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is ridiculous. But I didn't know where to go. I didn't have anywhere to go. And so I just like lived out of my car for a year and just drove around visiting people and staying with them for a week or two at a time. (laughs) And that was obviously not very sustainable. So after that, I moved in with some friends, but I was too sick for that. It was not a good situation. And finally, I got an apartment and I'm in an apartment now, which is good. But Yeah, there's not a lot of support. I live by myself. And on days when I'm feeling really bad, there's no one here to help me with anything. Mm -hmm. And on days when I'm feeling a little bit better, it's okay, I guess, being by myself all the time. But I really wish I had more support. Yeah, definitely. I know. And it sounds like you had some friends, you know, that were willing to help during the time. But did they really get your illness or were they just helping you like to hang out, you know, or a little bit like you were, you know, at their house or did they kind of get that you were really sick? They got that I was really sick, but yeah. I think it was too much for them to handle. 
and it was too much for me to handle and not a great situation. Right. Yeah. Well, it's hard too when it sounds like you didn't ask for help for many years because you, you didn't have anyone to ask for help and you got used to doing things on your own and just kind of pushing through. And then when it all comes to a head, that's got to be really strange to have to start asking for help. I'm not great at asking for help. I'm learning to do that a little bit, but uh, it's still, I had my parents who could see the pain and would step in when, you know, it was really bad because they could just tell, even though I was like, I got it, I can do it. It'd be like, no, you're going to go sit down. Like you're crazy. Like you look terrible, but I can't imagine to do everything on your own, especially when the pain is bad. I'm sure certain things, obviously you have to let them fall by the wayside just so that you can survive, but just even getting up and cooking for yourself or eating and other things, I'm sure it's just, you know, you have to live very minimal in your wants and things. Cause you just, you don't have that ability to, to do that. That's really hard. And have you found any support along the way? Or are you still kind of dealing with not having very much? Uh, I'm definitely still dealing with not having very much. I have various friends who are helpful when I see them, but sure. I don't like live with them. <laughs> so they're, they're helpful. Even like one of my friends that I used to live with, whenever she's around me, she's very helpful, but I don't see her very often. So it's like, well, she can be very helpful and it would be great if like I had someone like that all the time. Right. Yes. <laughs> but I think having someone like that all the time was kind of destructive for me because once I've had some support, I just like crashed and burned and that made things really hard on them and it made things really hard on me and it was just not a good time. Yeah. Well, mental health wise, it's a double-edged sword when you depend on someone because you've, you do get the help, but you also get that feeling of being a burden. At least I know that's how I felt. And then you feel like you're losing some of the independence and that bothers you. And so there's a lot of plays like where and then you feel like you're sucking them dry and what do you give them as a friend and you feel guilty for that and so it's you know it's not always like oh they came and helped me and that was wonderful and even though you're like that is wonderful but now I feel all these other things <laughs> and now I have to deal with all this backlash of your brain that's telling you constantly well they don't want to really help or uh you know I'm just such a burden and blah 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 and it's just it's a constant battle in our minds. And I, I know that not everyone's like that, but at least that is how I am when it comes to when people do help. I always feel mm. bad. I always feel like, oh, you know, they're putting themselves out, even though I would do that for them in a heartbeat. It's just when I receive it, I feel uncomfortable. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> I was just so desperate for anything that would help. I spent thousands of dollars on all these like witch doctor treatments and hippie treatments and like, you know, all these different like new agey things. I was just so desperate to get better. And it's really ridiculous. I had zero income. So all of it was coming out of savings. 
and I was spending thousands of dollars just trying to get better. And obviously I did not get better. Right. It's just, it's so hard. The financial strain of, of it is so difficult and you want to get better and you go to these doctors and they say, yeah, we can, we can do this. We're going to help. And they're very well intended, but it is, it's so hard to know the right treatments, especially with the finances. It's, it's hard. It's a delicate balance. When did you, you know, kind of start writing about your illness? So funny thing about writing is I kept that a secret too. I kept a lot of things secret because I was ashamed of them because my family was just so not supportive. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, everyone's going to make fun of me and stuff like that. So I like secretly wrote since I was a child. I wrote poetry and stories and I wrote a whole novel when I was in eighth grade and I didn't tell anyone. Wow. Yeah, it was weird. It was a weird time. I started writing about my pain specifically. I mean, I did sometimes when I was younger, mm-hmm. but it really came to a head when I discovered The Mighty, mm-hmm. which was in 2016. And The Mighty talks about fibromyalgia. And I started reading some of the stuff that other people had written that they were experiencing. And I was like, this is exactly what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. And it was so helpful that's when I started telling people I had fibromyalgia because before that I didn't really understand what fibromyalgia was. And so I didn't feel confident in telling people about it. But then when I read these articles on the mighty, along with the book I found about fibromyalgia, I was like, wow, this is a real thing. And it affects other people the same way it affects me. And I could share my story and other people could read it and feel the same way I'm feeling right now. And so I started writing about fibromyalgia, but I also wrote about my mental health issues. And I also wrote about my seizures and my balance and all these other things. And it was really great because it's like, I feel like I'm part of a community now, like a community where people understand what it's like to be sick. Yeah, that is huge too. Because I think when you get sick, You think you're the only, because you are the only one maybe in your friend group, your family group that has like a chronic condition. Like, yes, everybody has, you know, maybe they broke their foot and it healed, you know, but it's different when it's a chronic kind of condition and they just don't grasp all the aspects of it. So it's nice when, when you find a place where you're like, you too. Yes. You know, that's what, that's what it's like. And you can kind of find that sense of community a little bit. And that's amazing that you had an outlet like that to write. And I've read some of your articles and really enjoyed them because even if I don't have fibromyalgia, I can still relate to so many different aspects of just living with a chronic condition. And it's uh, so helpful to have people that just, you know, we are open and talk about that kind of thing. I know I was curious you know, what you would recommend for other chronically ill people that don't have any support. Cause I know, like I know from different support groups that I've been on, you know, there are some people that are just like, mm, my family doesn't believe me. They don't support me. My relationships, my friendships have ended and it breaks your heart to know that, you know, I know. And I think that makes me feel even more fortunate that I have, you know, what I have, but it's, it does, you're not alone in that front either. So what would you recommend to people that are 
also dealing with just not having a lot of support? There's not a good answer. Like there's not a good solution for that. I personally would just be like, take it a day at a time. Like what else can you do? I have applied for a bunch of government programs and stuff that could offer some kind of help, but those are really limited and very difficult to get into. And I mean, honestly, it sucks. Like, that's all I can say. It sucks. Like, there isn't a good solution to that. Like, I'm still really struggling a lot of the time. I have a walker that helps with balance and gives me a place to sit down but I barely use it because it's too heavy for me to bring in and out of my car so if I'm going somewhere with friends they can like take the walker out and put it back in but if I'm going somewhere by myself it's like just that one thing is such a burden I was literally talking about this yesterday with a future podcast guest and she said when they made these modalities, they made these things like a walker. Yes, they're very helpful, but they did not think about how we get them in and out of places and cars and things because yes, they're great, but I can't lift it out of my car and I can't put it in the car. You don't think about that, but that is such a huge issue. And she said, even when she went to college, you know, they had uh, some lifts, but she said they were terrible and they never like held the walker properly and like the walker would fall off and she'd have to go get it. And I was just like, you know, you never really think about the day to day struggles that you when you do have something like that, that you need to have and that helps you get by. So it's it's incredibly interesting. And I know I mentioned in the introduction about the recent migraine medication that's been denied by your insurance, which I get those denials. Like you, I get it because I've had to fight. And most of the time I lose uh, with different medications I've needed, different treatments. You know, it's always like a denial, appeal, a deny, appeal. And, you know, either it ends up being completely denied or sometimes rarely um, it'll be approved. But why don't you tell me a little bit about what happened there? I've had migraines my whole life, um, pretty severe migraines pretty often. And I started taking Botox for my migraines um, years and years ago. And I've been on it ever since until February when they started denying them. I also take an infusion called Viepti. And they said because I was getting the Viepti, they won't approve the Botox. And for a while, they wouldn't approve either. They were like, well, you can't have both, so you can't have either. So that was a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And now, finally, they approved the Viepti again, but they still won't approve the Botox. And it doesn't really help me to just have the Viepti or just have the Botox. Like, what was helping me was having both. And the insurance just completely denied it. My neurologist was unresponsive. I called and left messages on multiple people's accounts. I did everything I could do and they still didn't even file an appeal for me or like give me a letter to appeal it myself until, well, I hope they did it by now, but I don't actually know that they said they would. It's yeah, this whole we know thing. how that goes. Yeah. That, I mean, I hate to say that, but yeah, they say they will and then they don't. Yeah. Incredibly frustrating, especially because you know, it helps. And like, that's, 
what helps your migraine. <laughs> That's the most frustrating thing too, is when you know something works and they won't give it to you. So true. I had an acid reflux medicine. I take it for a throat problem. I have, I have a swallowing issue. I have dysphagia due to something called a Schatzky's ring in my esophagus. And the only acid reflux medicine that works for this, because it's not really acid reflux, it's a swallowing issue, uh, is crazy expensive. I mean, like I can't afford, I mean, it's like $350 a month. And I was like, yeah. And then they had a manufacturer's coupon, which brought it down to 60, but they did away with the coupon because they came out with a generic the generic is a whopping $25 less. So instead of 350, it's 325. And I was like, well, that's not going to happen. And so now I'm back going through all the acid reflux medicines, even though they don't work and they cause me to have massive swallowing problems, but I have to go through all of them. So my doctor can fight it with my insurance if that even helps. So right now I'm on my third acid reflux medication to show that it's you know, but I have to stay on it for like so long to prove that it doesn't work and then they will fight it. And they always deny it about every two years. And we go through this little dance and I have to do all that just to get it approved. So I get it. It's incredibly frustrating. And it's hard when your doctor doesn't follow up and they don't. I mean, if you don't follow up, they don't follow up. I mean, that's what I've learned. It's ridiculous. They just you know, they don't like dealing with insurance companies any more than we do, but it's just, that's their job. <laughs> it's like, whenever I get a migraine now, I'm just so angry because I'm like, I don't need to have this migraine. Like they're making me suffer for no good reason. That has to be just, yeah, incredibly frustrating and obviously not good for your mental health overall because the anger and not good for your migraine during the migraine because you're getting so frustrated, but how can you not be? You're human. That's incredibly frustrating. And I don't know, you know, you just have to keep going. I mean, there's really to address those challenges. All you do is keep on trying to get your doctor to fight it and see if you can get it approved. But it's it's not easy to do and you kind of run out of steam. I mean, do you run out of steam? I know I do. Like you get tired of fighting. Uh, yeah, because, definitely. Yeah, that's that's the hardest part. And that's kind of where support comes in sometimes too, is which you don't, you know, always have is is to have that secondary person that comes in and is like, listen, I'll call for you or you know, I'll follow up or you know, things like that, which are very helpful. It's just really hard it sucks and I don't have a good soundbite about how it's okay because it's not okay it's it's just miserable sometimes but I don't know if living with people would be better because Mm. like I said it was really hard when I was living with people so it's kind of like I feel like I don't belong anywhere like I don't belong by myself and I don't belong with other people and it's like what do you do And I don't have a good answer for that. Right. Well, I think you're still kind of working through it. And then you're dealing with the symptoms every day. You're dealing with just trying to get through and survive. It can just be so draining on everything. That's got to be really hard. And I'm glad you do have the mighty and you can reach out on there, but I know that's virtual. And sometimes it's not the same, you know, as having someone in your daily life. 
but I appreciate the honesty because that's the truth. I mean, we need to be honest about this. It's not, we can't always paint it with a happy brush <laughs> and pretend that it's, you know, we're, yes, it's difficult, but we found this, you know, way because tr the truth is it's not always, it's just not that way sometimes. And, and that's okay because that's just the reality we live in. So I appreciate you doing it. I appreciate you coming on and, you know, really talking about it because I think it matters. And I think people will relate to your story big time. I love that you've written so much nonfiction. It's really cool. And tell us about one of your favorite ones, because I want to hear about it. Which one is your favorite out of the ones you've written so far? So I've written a bunch of books, but I haven't actually gotten them published yet. I've gotten, so I got short stories published on mm -hmm. Amazon. And I've got like poetry published and articles and essays, but I haven't published a book yet. Most of my books are fiction, like novels. I wrote a nonfiction book about uh, the church, actually, and how the church responds to people in need. And so that was really interesting, but it's not published yet. I'm hoping to get it published. Yeah, well, it's hard to find a good publisher. It's hard to get yeah. things published out in this world of many books and many things, but I hope you do because, you know, it looks it looks really cool. And you can really find more of her work and more of her poetry and the things she writes on chronic illness and all kinds of things on her website at ksastre, S-A-S-T-R-E dot wordpress dot com. And I'll have it in the description, as I said. And Kale, thank you so much for doing this. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for being so open to talk about it. And, you know, I know it's not an easy topic to talk about, so I appreciate it because I really do think you will touch a lot of people out there that are in very similar situations. So it's amazing that you were willing to come on and do it. And um, so thank you. And thank you to all my listeners for tuning in. And I hope you tune in next week to uh, hear another amazing warrior's story. And remember, you are not alone and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review. Or do you want to be a guest? Simply email notmypain at heroescircle.org. Again, that is notmypain at heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, circle.org. Your story matters, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.